Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. All right, so does anyone need a Bible this morning? Uh, the ushers could get one to you if you want to raise your hand if you need a Bible. I will go ahead and jump on the uh, Bring Your Bible to Church campaign that Pastor Scott's been on. I am so thankful for technology, the ability to, at any time, just Google a verse or you know, do a reading plan on version. but there is nothing like the physical word, the physical Bible. I heard recently, I do not remember the context of this conversation, it might have been with Grandma, there was this lady who, um, for years, as she was older, read through a different physical Bible each year read through a year-long plan and made notes in it for specifically for each of her grandkids. And before she passed, she, able, she was able to give those as gifts to her grandkids. I thought, wow, that's so cool. So that's kind of become a future goal of mine. So anyway, bring your Bibles. So for those of you who do have them this morning or who are using uh, your devices, go ahead and go to the book of First Samuel. We'll get there in a little bit. The title of my sermon this morning is Life Lessons from David. And no, I am not going to share with you my uh, vast wisdom and experience from the first 28 years of my life. We're going to talk about someone who's got a little more experience than I do, uh, David from the Old Testament. And I, when I was called upon to share for this service, there were a couple of different directions I wanted to go. There was a something that I've been reading recently that I was like, oh man, I'd, I'd like to go that way. And, and there was also this sermon I had prepared from over a year ago that I've, I've really been wanting to share. And they're both about David. So I thought, well, let's just throw them both together, put another point in the middle and just make it your classic three-point sermon. So we're going to go over three life lessons from the life of David. They don't necessarily all flow easily together. So if Going from one to two, two to three seems a little abrupt. It'll be all right. We'll, we'll deal with it, okay? So let's go ahead and get right into life lesson number one from David, which is extraordinary faithfulness. It's extraordinary faithfulness. You're in First Samuel. Go ahead and go with me to chapter 17. For those of you familiar with your Bibles and with this chapter, you know this is the famous account of David and Goliath, but that's actually not where I'm going to go today. <clears throat> There's so much more in this chapter, and today we're going to look at David's faithfulness. I think a lot of us tend to put the term faithfulness kind of in a box. Um, when we're thinking about that, we think of loyalty or staying. And that is certainly an aspect of faithfulness. My, my last small group knows we kind of tore down the walls of, of what faithfulness means in our study with John Bevere. And it's not, just, it's not just staying. Of course, in the context of marriage, you may say, oh, he's been faithful. He's been with one person for however many years. And that is, that is faithfulness. And that's true with our relationship with God. Staying with God is faithfulness. But it can take on so many more different forms. And as we go over these points today, I want us to think about our position in the body of Christ. Uh, I've actually got three sub-points under this life lesson. So 
we're going to go through those and we're going to look at, again, different uh, forms that faithfulness can take on. Because, like I said, it's not just staying. If, if Abram, when God told him to leave Haran, had stayed instead of going, that would not be considered faithfulness, right? So it takes on different forms. So the first sub-point is remain. You're in 1 Samuel 17. Let's go ahead and go to verse 12. A little bit of context before we read. Uh, David has already been anointed at this point by Samuel. That's in chapter 16. He's already been called into the presence of King Saul uh, to refresh his spirit with music. So he's familiar with Saul. He's got a relationship with Saul, but this, his employment at this point is to keep his father's sheep. So let's pick it up in verse 12. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So we see David was faithful in his place. I, from what we know as we keep reading about the life of David, we know he's a warrior, he's a fighter, he, he goes after things. As you keep reading in this chapter, you see him go out to attack Goliath. So he's a warrior. So to see your three older brothers be able to go to battle and you have to stay with the sheep, there's probably a little bit of, oh man, a little bit of disappointment, but he was faithful in the position he knew he was supposed to be in. He had a role. And had he left that position prematurely, he would have missed out on the blessing of obedience, the blessing of faithfulness. I, when I was at Rama Bible Training College in Broken Arrow, I spent maybe three or four weeks attending the church before I just felt so restless not serving. I was like, okay, I got to get involved in something. So I auditioned for the worship team to play the bass guitar which I had done here in the youth band for nine, nine years almost. And so I, I started to play with the, the worship team. Uh, they did three services a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I started to play on Wednesday nights every now and then, occasionally a Sunday morning. And I was getting better. And towards the end of my first year, around April of 2019, there was coming up an opening in what we musicians saw as like the pinnacle team, worship team to be a part of, and that was the crusade team that traveled with the Hagans. That was, that's where you wanted to be. The bass player that was uh, on that team was getting ready to move, and the worship leaders were asking questions. I knew through friends of mine that they were going between me and another bass player. I was like, okay, this is my opportunity. This is, I really want to do this. It's going to be great. They ended up going with the other bass player, and you know, tried to hide my disappointment. Eh, yeah, no big deal. Yeah, it's fine. I didn't want to do it anyway. No, I, I really wanted to. But they chose someone else. But what I realized, and it took me probably longer than it should have to realize, looking back, I benefited so much more from staying and being uh, one of the bass players at the church through the time uh, of transition because that summer, uh, the worship leader at Rama that had been there for 30 years left and there was a transition time. So I had an opportunity to be kind of a steady individual during that time. And it was beneficial for, uh, 
for Rama, it was beneficial for me. I learned way more staying than I would have going and being on that team. So sometimes when the Lord calls you to stay somewhere, it's not going to be what you want, but it's going to be what you need. So we need to respond faithfully like David did. So that's the first sub-point there, remain. Uh, number two, remove. Let's go ahead and continue in, in 1 Samuel 17, picking it back up in verse 16. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Some of you know my first comment, what it's going to be here. If I were the David taking cheesy bread to my brothers, it would not have made it. There's, there's no way. But check this out. After 40 days of faithful staying, now David is being called to remove himself from his position to assume another. Some people who have that, that boxed-in view of faithfulness, uh, of saying faithfulness is just staying from the outside looking in, they could see David and say, oh, he wasn't faithful to his spot, to his role as shepherd, but he was. Some people from the outside looking in may see another person leave a church and go somewhere else and say, oh, they weren't faithful. But there are times where you don't know what, what conversations God is having with these people. Don't judge the perceived disobedience of man if you don't know the divine direction they've been given by God. Don't judge the perceived disobedience of man if you don't know the divine direction they've been given by God. A perfect example of that is Mary in the New Testament. From the outside looking in, it looked like she had been unfaithful to Joseph. People may have been around her who didn't know the encounter she had with the angel. So it looks like sin. It looks like disobedience. It looks like unfaithfulness. But she knew, Joseph knew, that she was where she needed to be. Now, I understand it's easy for people to play the God card, and they say, oh, God told me to do this, or God told me to leave here and go here, and sometimes there's really not much you can say to argue that. But there will be some situations where only God and that person know that their level of obedience, Right? But we're, we're called to obey on our path. Maybe after 40 days, David had gotten comfortable with the sheep in the fields. Maybe you've been in the same position in the body of Christ for decades, and you've gotten comfortable. Like, you're, you're good with it, but maybe God is calling you to remove yourself from a certain position, to make way for somebody else, or for you to be blessed by going in a different position. Now, before I get in trouble here, I'm not admonishing anyone to leave Living Word or just up and leave your position with no warning, but I am encouraging you just to hear from God and be sensitive to his direction of what he may be telling you to do. Faithfulness is not always remaining. Sometimes it's removing yourself. And just to uh, put a cap on that story about the crusade team, two years after that initial opening, I did end up getting an opportunity to go on the crusade team. I went uh, on a couple of trips with them, one to Florida, one to Texas, uh, which was a fantastic experience. But after I did two trips, I was like, yeah, that's enough. It, it was good, but uh, 
I definitely benefited from staying when I should have stayed and going when I should have gone. So God was faithful, and I was faithful. Uh, the third sub-point, and the final one under this life lesson, is replace. So we have remain, remove, replace. For Samuel 17, picking right back up in verse 19. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. He left the sheep with a keeper. When called to move, the truly faithful were replaced themselves before leaving. So the first two subpoints, staying and moving, are, are essentially just obeying the direction of God. This one is going above and beyond that. This is what makes David's faithfulness, faithfulness extraordinary, is that he replaced himself. He, he didn't belittle his current role by leaving it unattended. There is no, again, speaking of our role in the body of Christ, there is no insignificant role. 1 Corinthians 12 says, uh, the members that we see as less honorable are actually deserving of more honor. So there is no insignificant role in the body. You know, at, at Rama, I was obviously surrounded by all these students who wanted to be missionaries, worship leaders, ministers, and pastors. I would just observe people and see, you know, if, if they're wanting to be in these certain positions, are they willing to do the small things? And happy to report from my uh, school of pastoral ministry in my third year, those were the kids, those were the students that were serving the most in the church and always, not always in the flashiest of places. So we need to be willing to do uh, even the small things for the Lord, if that's what he's calling you to do. But back to this idea of replacing yourself, I, we shouldn't see that as a negative. I know in the, in the business world, I've, I've experienced this a little bit at work, where people think, oh, if I share too much of what I know, then I'm replaceable. I'm, I'm not going to be needed. But the opposite is true. If If you make yourself replaceable, you're multiplying your value. And again, my, my small group from last time, we, we talked about faithfulness equaling multiplication, and that includes multiplying yourself. So that's life lesson number one from the life of David. He displayed extraordinary faithfulness. Number two, I really tried to make these all start with an E because I really like alliteration. I just couldn't do it. I was going to have to use a college word that was going to be forced, so... Life lesson number two, immediate repentance. Immediate repentance. In 2 Samuel 11, there is the familiar account of David and Bathsheba. And I'm not going to read it all, but I'll just do a quick uh, retelling of it. So in, in the time of year when kings are supposed to be out to battle, David decides to stay put. He, there's a little bit of improper delegation that goes on. He sends someone else out to battle, and he stays home. And it's late at night one day, and uh, he, he gets out of bed, goes out onto the porch maybe to get some fresh air, and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath. How convenient. I don't, I don't know if that's why that's what her name is. I don't know if she had any sisters named for what they were doing. I don't know. 
But he sees this, and he's, he's the king, so he can pretty much get whatever he wants. He tells his servants, go get me that woman. So they do. They bring her back. He is with her, and uh, she becomes pregnant. Problem is, she's married, so David has to come up with uh, a way to cover up his first sin. So her husband, uh, Uriah, is brought back to David from the battle. He's one of David's uh, leaders in battle. David brings him back for a report, asks him how things are going, and says, you know what, while you're back here, why don't you just go home and and be with your wife for a night, just a a little reward for, for coming back here. And Uriah responds, it's funny to me, he responds in a way that David would have normally responded. He says, you know what, that's disrespectful to the men I'm fighting with. I don't want to do that for their sake. So David's like, oh boy, I'm going to have to try something else. So plan B, he gets with the leader of his army and says, I want Uriah at the front lines of the hottest battle, basically a a suicide mission. So Uriah ends up dying in battle. Word gets reported back to David. And shortly after that, God sends Nathan, the prophet, to have a little story time with David. And Nathan says, there's, there's two men, one rich, one poor. The rich man has thousands of sheep, all sorts of cattle. The poor man just has one little lamb. Are you thinking of Veggie Tales? Yeah, okay. I can't sing it. No, I can't. The poor man just had one lamb that he had uh, grown up with and had treated this lamb as his own child. And the rich man has a guest come to his house, and rather than taking one of his thousands of sheep, he takes the poor man's one lamb. And David's anger is just aroused at this point. He says, that man, whoever did that, he should be killed. And Nathan delivers the, the famous line, you are that man. So I want to look at David's response. And we find this if you want to go ahead and turn to Psalm 51. See, David had already, he had already doubled down. He, he sinned with Bathsheba and then doubled down and, and murdered Uriah to try to cover it up. And when faced with his sin now, he could, have, he could have arched his back, tried to justify his actions, but he knew he couldn't. He knew he was in the wrong, out of position, not being in battle where he should have been, in the wrong with Bathsheba, in the wrong, killing Uriah. So in Psalm 51, we read his response. I'm actually going to read the entire thing. It's not very long. Starts out, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. I'm not going to stop after every verse, but I just want to say here, notice that David doesn't say, have mercy on me, O God, for such and such that I'm going to do. Have mercy on me, O God, I'll make it up to you. He calls on his character, on God's character and his mercy. He says, have mercy on God, on me, O God, for your loving kindness. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Another, another point there. That's the first step to repentance. Again, David, he could have heard that story from Nathan, been confronted that way, and said, no, I, I've got no problem here. The 
try to hide his sin, in other words. But instead he says, I acknowledge my transgressions. I admit I'm a sinner. That's the first step for all of us, right? Verse 4, against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Here's the verses where you can hear Keith Green's voice. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Makes me think of Corinthians, where we're told that we are part of the ministry of reconciliation. David says, if you forgive me, if you have mercy on me, I will teach others that this is who you are, that you're a forgiving God, you're a merciful God. And that's what he does here in this psalm. Verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bowls on your altar. So David clearly wasn't perfect. He messed up, but he was quick to repent. This is the difference between David and Saul. God looked at Saul when when Saul attempted to justify his sinful actions with sacrifice. And God said, I can't set up a kingdom from you, from someone who will overlook and downplay your wrongdoings. Instead, David, he owned it. And he didn't try to cover it up with making sacrifices. He says there in verse 16, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. David knew that what God really wanted was a heart change, right? David, despite his sin nature, had a heart after God. God is not looking for us to crawl our way back to him when we mess up. He's looking for us to run back to him. He's looking at us like the father of the prodigal, saying, as soon as I see you, I'm going to meet you halfway. But we have to come back. We have to repent. So that's life lesson number two, immediate repentance. Man, I'm going to get you guys out of here at a great time. Life lesson number three. Again, these don't flow together super well, but that's all right. Life lesson number three is extravagant worship. We see this in the life of David. If you want to turn to 2 Samuel 24, this is towards the end of his life. 2 Samuel 24. In this chapter, we see 
Actually, another example of David's immediate repentance. Uh, I'm not going to read all of this either, but what you need to know is that David took a census of the people of Israel when he wasn't supposed to. Um, Whether the motivation behind that was fear or pride or something else, it displeased the Lord. So in verse 10 of, of chapter 24, we read, And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. So another, another great example of his immediate repentance, but much like in the account with Bathsheba, there are still consequences to his actions. In the account with Bathsheba, their, their son ended up dying. In this instance, the Lord gives David options for his consequences. Did any of the rest of you grow up and at some point your parents let you pick your punishment? Or am I the only weird kid with weird parents? No? There was a phase, short-lived, thankfully. Emily and I talk about this all the time. We bring it up. Mom and Dad, we would do something wrong. Rarely. More, more often it would be Emily. We would do something wrong, and mom and dad would say, what do you think your punishment should be? I don't know, five minutes early to bed? I, you know, we would, of course, pick something that really didn't affect us. Anyway, the Lord did this with David, so I guess it's biblical. He gave him three options. It was either going to be seven years of famine, three months of uh, enemy pursuit, or three days of a plague. And David said, I don't want to be um, put into the hands of man but the, man, the hands of the Lord, so I'm going to choose three days of a plague. So the angel of the Lord began to go about the land of Israel, and we'll pick it up in chapter 24, verse 17. We'll go through verse 25. Before I read this, there is a name in here that I do not know how to pronounce, and it's in there like 47 times. So if I just say he instead of the name, just it's all right. Verse 17, then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, surely I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? I love full circle there. David sees his people as sheep going back to his first role with his father. This, these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. And Gad, who was a prophet, came that day to David and said to him, go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arauna, the Jebusite. So David, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. Now Arauna looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So he went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground and said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. And he said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to you. Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All these, O king, I have given to the king. And he said to him, May the Lord your God accept you. Then the king said to him, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land, and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. 
I will not offer the Lord that which costs me nothing. This is what I wanted to emphasize in this passage. What, what is your worship costing you? In, in John chapter 12, there's this wonderful account of um, it's this, this moment of worship from Mary to Jesus. And the oil that she anoints him with is worth about a year's wages. So what if God said to you, I want you to give me a year's salary. Would you do it? That's a, that's a big, big ask. I think for many of us, the tithe has gotten comfortable, and this is a very giving church. We hear that from Pastor Scott all the time, and we're, we're very blessed here. But for a lot of us, I think the tithe has gotten comfortable. I mean, sure, it's a, it's a sacrifice, but it's kind of built in for a lot of us at this point. Like, we budget for it. We know it's coming. And, but what if God said, I want this from you? And it was something that really challenged you, really cost you. When it comes to praise and worship, I think many of us have, have gotten comfortable with the, the raising of our hands and some of the, the usual things that we do, singing. But what if God said, I want you to kneel? Or what if God asked you to dance? Would you do it? What if God asked you to do something that would cost you? Because that's the worship he wants. Two quick things and then I'll close. First, in that account in John 12, uh, where Mary is showing this extravagant display of worship towards Jesus, it says the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil she used. And other than what Jesus says, the only response recorded is the judgment of Judas, where he judges her worshipful act as wasteful. And as we know, Judas, not many days after that, was dead. Seems a little severe, but, you know, I've, I've experienced times in, in church services where I'll see someone worshiping in a way that maybe makes me uncomfortable or I look at and I'm like, really? But only God knows their heart. It's not on us to judge somebody else's worship. Last example, this is back to the life of David. When the Ark of the Lord was brought back to the city of David, uh, 2 Samuel 6.14 tells us that David danced before the Lord with all his might. And his wife, Michael, Saul's daughter, uh, saw him and judged his act of worship. And the Bible says she despised him in her heart. A few verses down from that, the Bible says she was barren until the day she died. A critical spirit towards true worship will cut off your fruitfulness. It's a little harsh, but it's true. A critical spirit towards true worship will cut off your fruitfulness. Don't be the person in the room unwilling to pay the price of worship. Psalm 27, which was also written by David, verse 6 says this, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Sacrifices of joy. Worship, true worship is costly. We are so blessed 
in the United States to be able to freely, corporately gather and worship the way we do. But is it too comfortable? Is, is our worship really costing us anything, or is it just, yeah, I'll show up and sing a few songs? Let your worship cost you something. On that note, the praise and worship team, you can go ahead and make your way on up here, if you would. Like I said, these points, these life lessons from David didn't necessarily run together very well, but there is a common thread in all of them, and it's how David chose to respond in every situation that we looked at today. It's been said, life is not what happens to you, it's how you react to it, right? As a young man, maybe even a boy, David was faithful to stay in his position until he was called to move and replaced himself before leaving. Later in life, when confronted with his sin, he immediately repented. And towards the end of his life, when directed by God to build an altar, he did so at a personal cost. You can go ahead and stand up with me if you would. So by way of application today, I'll just ask a a few questions. What is God speaking to you right now? Taking a, a, a page out of the Robert Morris book of altar calls here. What is the Lord speaking to you right now? Like I said, this is all about how David responded. This is all about how we respond. So whether it's in this moment specifically, whether it's in the current season of life you're in, what is God saying to you? What is he asking of you? Is he telling you to stay in your position, even if that's not what you want? Is he telling you to move when maybe you'd rather stay? Has that sin that has gone undealt with come up in your heart? needs to be addressed? Is he asking you to worship him in a way that you can't afford? My encouragement today is to respond like David did. There may be some of you here today who have never made that initial response to God. God made the first move. We talked about extravagant giving There is no more extravagant gift than John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that we could have eternal life. God made the first move, and there may be some of you here today who have not responded to that love, who have not said, God, I see that you have given your life for me. I want to give my life to you. So if that's you this morning, I'm going to pray in a little bit. And then we'll sing, and I ask you to come down, and I'll pray with you to receive the Lord, to give your life to him. There may be some of you who have done that, but need to re-up, need to respond afresh by saying, God, I've, I've gotten off the path like David did, but I want to get right back on. So if that's you, you need to rededicate your life today. I want you to come up as well. For the rest of us, which I believe would be most of us this morning, I asked the worship team to go back to that song that we sang at the end of the worship service, the part that says, I'm pouring out my praise on you. I'm pouring out my love on you. 
That's exactly what Mary did. She poured out her love, her praise on Jesus. And Jesus saw that expression of worship and he said, what you're doing today is going to be told for the rest of human history. I want this church to be filled with people who God would tell our story about because of our extravagant worship. So don't, at this point in the service, don't check out we're still going to sing for a little bit. And if God is calling you to worship in a way that costs you, maybe in a way that makes you uncomfortable, do it. Just take this opportunity, just a few minutes here to do that. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word, for the examples we have in your word of a life well lived for you. God, we purpose to be faithful to you no matter what that looks like. God, when we mess up, when we sin, we choose ahead of time to repent immediately, to get back on the path of life. And God, from this moment on, we choose to worship you at a cost. We're done with comfortable worship. And we move towards worship that is truly extravagant. God, we thank you that if there's anyone here that needs to respond to those invitations, Lord, to give their life to you or to rededicate to you, we ask you to give them boldness to step out. We just thank you for having your way in the rest of this time with you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you come. Let's sing. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.